Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast, a football research podcast for debate, discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all things football within the world of academia. Hi Steve, how are you doing? It's been a while since uh, we spoke. I think it was last year or the year before we recorded a podcast on pre-season friendlies. Uh, I really enjoyed that, so how are you doing? Yeah, no, very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we just start started out on the project. Or it might have been the the piece of research before that that I did. But yeah, we did. Yeah, it's all good. No, no preseason, but uh, not a proper one anyway. No. So um, you've re- you've come to tell us about the Erasmus project and program you're working on about combating match fixing in non-competitive matches. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you became involved with the project and Erasmus? Yeah, sure. So, uh, two or three years ago now, I got um, what was then called a Havalanche Scholarship, and they, they don't like that name anymore, so now it's a FIFA Scholarship, ran by CIS, uh, just to analyse pre-season friendlies generally, looking at how clubs use them you know, to gain market share and for marketing and all that kind of stuff, touring abroad, TV rights. And one chapter of the book was, um, uh, was about integrity uh, and about you know, governance in pre-season friendlies, of which there is you know, virtually none. And when I'd done that, I thought, well, this is a kind of an interesting thing, interesting area to pursue. And I, someone told, I was at a conference where someone was talking about the Erasmus Plus project. And they were looking, they were basically asking for more applications for match fixing um, projects. And at the time, I'd been asked to do some research by the University of Nicosia on govern, governance, because I've been out there as a journalist reporting on Cypriot football. And uh, so I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And then we had the, the terrible B word, which makes everything impossible in our, in our country, doesn't it, coming up Brexit. So I decided that I'd do this with the University of Nicosia. I said to them, why don't we put together a, a whole project, an Erasmus application, and I'll do it with you. And so that was all fine. And we put that in. And, uh, and we got the money, which we were a bit surprised at. But, you know, we were very pleased. So the project is the University of Nicosia, CIS, um, the Players' Unions in Malta, Greece and Cyprus, and uh, EU Athletes, which is another player's body, and the International Betting Integrity Association, who are like a trade association for the gambling companies. And obviously, they're very interested in, you know, trying to, trying to stamp this out as well. So, so, so that's, that's kind of, that's how the project's, uh, that's how it's made up. And as part of the project, we're looking at uh, games in, in uh, Portugal and, and uh, Spain, Greece, Malta, Cyprus, and then uh, four countries in Eastern Europe, Slovenia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and Romania. And we're trying to look at... Um, Look at the sort of framework of the games, what kind of level of governance there is. Uh, because, you know, in our country, you suppose theoretically at the FA uh, to ask 60 days in advance if you want to go abroad and play a game. Uh, but there's, you know, in other places, there's no, there's no recording of games. You know, teams go and play where they want. The FAs only find out if a team's gone abroad when they see it on the gambling markets or they see it on social media and they don't even know they're abroad. Um, so that, that's the kind of thing we're trying to look at. We're, we're doing a lot of interviews with players. I'm compiling a sort of database list of suspicious matches. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of how, how the project works and runs to the end of next year. We'll publish a report at the end with a, with a kind of look at, you know, all the issues involved, really. So we were having a discussion just before we started recording about match fixing in football widely. And I'm, I'm going to put quite a big question out to you now. Apologies. But how big of an issue is match fixing usually in football? I think, you know, less so in our country. I don't I think it, it will be very difficult, I should imagine, to, to fix a Premier League game, for example. But when you go further east, particularly in Eastern Europe, you go into places where there's clubs, <clears throat> you know, they don't have any money. You know, they can't sell tickets or TV rights and can't get much in sponsorship. 
in some of these places uh, because the Premier League and La Liga and all the other clubs, everyone watches those games. You know, if you're in some of these places, you know, I've been in Armenia and, you know, people are watching Bayern Munich and, you know, it's, it's a, that's quite prevalent in a lot of these places. So it's, it's hard for these clubs to kind of keep going. And so therefore they become financially weak and two things happen. They either fall prey to sort of um, poor owners or, you know, part of their business plan of staying alive can be in some places fixing matches because if they can't sell a player and they can't get any TV rights, they'll just factor in fixing a few games. And that's so, you know, further east you go, I think, in some, some parts of the medic, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a problem that's, that's ignored, I think, really. So I've read a little bit and, and heard a little bit about from strange things I've just ended up watching, you know, when you go on a YouTube rabbit hole about the Asian betting market. And about fabricated games, just games that really don't exist. And this is something you also mentioned in the piece that you sent me. So can you tell us a little bit about the Asian betting market and these just um, ghost games, really? Yeah, the, the Asian market, the, the companies that are taking bets in Asia, you know, the bulk of the betting there is football, whereas in our country it could be, or you know, horse racing and, you know, fo- boxing, it could be all cricket, whatever, what have you. And that, you know, they're kind of football mad at in Asia. And in a lot of those countries, you're not allowed to, to, to gamble. So the, so the companies couldn't get, you know, aren't licensed, you know, because, the, because there isn't a license to get. So that's why they're often referred to as, as uh, unlicensed um, unlicensed gambling companies and out there there's a kind of an agent system so you can sign up and, and open like say 30 accounts and you'll, you know you can do it through an agent so it's harder to find out who's placed that account whereas if you or I were doing something dodgy in this country and we've opened an account with Labrooks, Labrooks can see our name and then they'll send it off to the FA and say you know Steve Manry or Josh have been doing this and, and so it's, it's much easier to track in, in this country in those countries it's much harder to track and um, so that's where people, uh, a lot of the, the, the dodgy stuff is going on in those markets because it's much harder to, to monitor that. And as to the, the ghosts and fake games, so now we tend to be calling a ghost game a game with no spectators, which is, is kind of, that's the, kind of the current parlance. But really a ghost game would be a game that was kind of invented. It never took place. And people, criminal elements will try and make that game appear it's taking place. They might write fake match reports on websites so, so that's kind of gone on in the past. Belarus was one particular incident out there where the, you know it went on. And there's also what they're calling fake games, which is where people are playing the game, pretending to be a club. So a real game is going to go ahead, which has gone on in the Ukraine this year, and uh, it seems to have gone on in Russia and probably Brazil as well. But players aren't. There is genuinely a game going on, and the, the players may well be from that club, but they're not that club. They're pret- they're pretending to be someone else. And that's again, that's just done to fool the bookmakers, you know, because you know the, the bookmakers need matches to offer at the moment, and, and and the criminal elements know that, so they put these games on and try and take advantage of the bookmakers that way. It really is mental. It's almost like something from a film. Um, was it Latvia you were speaking about just before we were recording, and the influence that that has on? when the game fixtures kick off. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, well, Lithuania, yeah. I think it was Lithuania. Yeah, yeah. so the the league there was sponsored by uh, an Asian Asian gambling company. So the games are kicking off at kind of times to suit the Asian market rather than, you know, to to suit the the local fans. So that's just, you know, that's just distancing the local people from the the game if you're doing that. I know, you know, in England, we weren't always like the fact that games kick off at... What we, what we we always felt was unsuitable times, but out there it really is unsuitable, you know, it has been unsuitable, and that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, the role of the gambling companies is, is, you know, it's quite important. Another thing that you wrote about was the influence and power of data scouts in this 
weird nexus of match fixing. Um, and there's also a sad story about two Chinese students, I think it was in Newcastle. Um, I'd love to hear more about that as well, if you can tell us. Yeah, sure. So the, the, the data scouts, typically, you know, people will go to the matches with a PDA and they'll send inform- information back either to a data company or then sell it on to a bookmaker. Or some of the Asian companies will send their own data scouts to games. So sometimes you can, if you can be at a game, I mean, I'm a Bournemouth fan myself and I remember seeing a, a cop this season trying to film something and I, I couldn't understand what they were trying to film, you know. not any violence goes on at Bournemouth anymore. And uh, I realised they were looking for, for data scouts that were unlicensed ones. So you'll see people with a PDA doing something like that. And these could be from the Asian bookmakers. And, uh, and so that they're, they're subverting the, the, the agreements that the proper companies have. And a couple of the uh, data scouts, this was in uh, about a dozen years ago in Newcastle, they were working for an Asian bookmakers, but they were delaying the time they were sending the information in by a few seconds. So say a corner was taken or someone got a red card, they delay it on a handheld device by a few seconds, give someone a, a chance to actually put a bet on in that delayed period and make some money out of it. And they were doing that for an Asian company and they were both murdered in uh, Newcastle. It's pretty, pretty gruesome stuff, pretty gruesome stuff. So it shows, you know, it tells you something about the elements that were involved there, you know, and that, that was nothing to do with it, like a proper regulated data company. That was Asian bookmakers, you know. Quite a sad story. Um, one of the other things you wrote about was spotting the fix. Um, I've heard of spotting in, in sports like tennis and in cricket where people will deliberately bowl wide or people will try and um, serve a let, for example. But how is that done in football um, and how can we recognise it if we're looking out for games, say this weekend, for example, and think, oh, that's a little bit dodgy, that, that might, might be a spot. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, there's different ways it can go on, you know, because you can bet on virtually anything these days. So it could be someone you're know, trying to get a, you know, get a free kick or something like that. But sometimes it can become, you know, to an almost absurd level. There was some games in Marbella last year with the Latvian club and the Norwegian team. And the Latvian clubs, they were the ones that appeared to be at fault with about 10 minutes to go. Uh, uh, eight of the players just all attacked like a bunch of little, little five-year-olds. And they left two defenders and a keeper just trying to defend and it's very hard to, do, to keep defending when everyone else is at the other end of the field. The goal got scored and there we are. And, you know, and that game attracted a bet alert, was investigated by the, by the um, Spanish Federation. So, the, you know, the, that was a pretty obvious one. Sometimes you can just see people doing the, the most absurd things. You can go on YouTube, you know, there's one I'll, I'll put on, on the Twitter account, a little movie I made, you know, of people doing, you know, completely absurd things, or even it can be referees, you know, some, so there's certainly in some places there's been problems with referees that are trying to give penalties which really aren't there. And there was a game a few years ago, in, again in Marbella, not that that's the only place this happens, but it happened to be there as well. And uh, four, uh, a number of ridiculous penalties. And the fourth one, uh, the goalkeeper of the Dutch team saved it, and the ref said, take it again for no reason. And the keeper said, no, thanks. And he just walked off the field and left and they had to abandon the game because he refused to carry on. Quite rightly as well. You know, good for him. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's different ways of spotting. And in the pre-season ones, they can become quite absurd, you know, or, or the lower level ones generally, but pre-season in particular. So. We seem to get those referees at Ellen Road every weekend. So <laughs> I, might, uh, I might write to the AFL about that one. yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the non-league games in this country. You, know, you mentioned something about that and that's something we were talking about, about sort of the ridiculousness of the depth of the, the sporting pyramid, not only in just football, about what you can bet on. Like, it almost seems I could walk outside now and bet on Portwood FC versus Woodbank, you know, the two local community football clubs. 
So is, is it getting that bad and, and how bad is match fixing in the lower lower parts of the football pyramid? I don't think I don't think the, the problem necessarily is, is fixing in those games. I think it's the problem that those games are uh, you're allowed to bet on them. I mean, there's been some ones that you know the, the FA took action on on the website. Although they, they tried to keep it as quiet as possible, but um, you know, Hailsham, Newmarket, Sonetown Rangers, those clubs were involved. And those games were you know those games were pre-season games. I'm talking about now. That you know, Taunton was another one where these games were on the gambling markets and they prompted alerts because you know sometimes it's you know in a pre-season game you'll get a very, you know, someone will put a very young team out and they might get thumped. And that might prompt an alert because people don't realise actually they're, they're a very, you know, it's not a full team, it's a younger team. But some of the, you know, the very low levels, like the Soane one, you know, that was, they were kind of hung out to dry a bit in a way. I mean, you know, they, they admitted that, that they shouldn't have done what they'd done and they, they you know, they, they took action about that and told the players not to bet on their own games. But really, you know, should a game like that, Town Rangers versus Newmarket, be allowed to... Should you be betting on that? It's a pre-season game. If it was a league game, maybe, but pre-season game. But it was on the gambling markets. And, and so some of the, the, the lads by the, in the team by, account, by all accounts and some of their friends gambled on that match. And the FA took some action, you know, quite rightly. And the club educated their players, which is quite right too. But maybe, the, maybe if the game hadn't been available to bet on, that wouldn't have been a problem in the first place. Yeah. It all comes down again to defer of responsibility I believe and um, the FA sometimes don't get it right with gambling but I'll leave it at that so there's no liability <laughs> towards me or the yeah. football collective um, and in the article you mentioned about friendlies um, and almost be, almost friendlies being ignored by federations um, and there not being any regulation for them and I know you mentioned again before this about some federations not having a clue about teams leaving and playing abroad in these um, during whilst I don't know what what, what you call them, where you see a lot of um, teams taking a break during the season and going playing friendlies, but a lot yeah, of yeah training camps. Yeah, a lot of federations you say don't have a clue about this. Um, can you tell us some more about that? Yeah, I think so, some of the ones. So when you get to you know more perhaps in Western Europe, like the Germans will probably be a good a good positive example in the um, the German federation and the German league pay two, two different companies to monitor all the pre-season games that the Bundesliga teams in Bundesliga 1 and 2 play. So that's, you know, that's, you know they're both kind of like belt on braces, so that's a very sort of good example. But you get other places to, to the east, you know, you've got small federations, not a lot of people working in there, and, you know, pre-season isn't something they think about, and they'll only find out if a team's gone abroad. Even in sort of, you know, quite, you know, developed uh, leagues like say the Czech Republic you wouldn't they, they'll know or Slovakia for example if a team goes abroad they'll find out on from social media or the gambling markets because one of their games has been offered somewhere and and you know there's no there's no you know UEFA really need to put in a system of, of making sure every country registers where their teams go in pre-season and the Germans do that you know and the English as I understand it although struggle to get to speak to them but uh, you know that the, they do that as well and you know other countries that you know that it's just a complete free-for-all and they'll, they'll go to Turkey or they'll go to Slovenia or go to Spain and no one knows where they go and and the training camps are massive you know even in weak leagues where countries haven't got a lot of money the clubs are all going on training camps to Turkey and you know Bulgaria Slovenia Spain you know the cheaper the better really but yeah they're all going on them and, and no one knows where they are well, part of the clubs obviously know, but no one else knows, you know. And I think it's an argument where really that that should be, you know, you should um, 
people should be keeping note of where those clubs are. But then the flip side of that is that there's been some problems with um, match fixing in Sweden or people trying to influence matches. So out there, there's been pre-season seems to be going on forever in Sweden. So there's very, very low-level teams, teams like at the very, very bottom, like Parks Football, have been playing games. And when they play games out there, they register them there. Even at that level, they register them in, a, in, a, in, a, in like a book, a register type thing that anyone could access. So the data scouts would go in, they would find these fixtures, they would send a data scout along, they'd put them on the gambling markets, and then someone was trying to, you know, give grief to, like, kids on Facebook and social media, trying to bully them about these pre-season games. And it's the absolute lowest level, the kind of level I would have played at, because that was, that was the lowest level, you know. And, and those, games were, those games were available to bet on again. And, uh, you know, and, and, but that's, that's the problem. It's easy to blame the, the gambling companies for that, or the betting companies for that. But actually... The data scouts have gone on and gotten there. And, and now, the, uh, to counter that, the Swedes have taken away access to that register. So no one can find out. And they've asked the clubs not to publicise pre-season games or friendly matches on social media to try and, to try and reduce the betting on it. Whether that will work, I don't know. But it's, uh, you know, it's quite a complex uh, argument, I think, a complex issue. It, seems, uh, it almost seems like we're going to get to a point where you know, Bet365 is going to be offering bets on who's going to win a game of head tennis in a training session next. Yeah. Well, they're, they're all out there. They're all out a lot of these games, you know. Soap football, that was another one during, during the worst of the lockdown. Check it out. It's hard to, hard to explain, but go on YouTube, look it up. Soap football. football. <laughs> Ridiculous. So just one last question for you. Where do you think the responsibility lies in terms of match fixing, in terms of regulating this? Um, and whose responsibility is it to ensure best practice? Is it the federations? Is it the clubs? Or is it FIFA? Who's, whose responsibility is it? Well, I think it's got to start at the top. And what FIFA say, because uh, FIFA have actually been quite open and sort of, you know, met with them a couple of times, is that if it's a if it's a game between a club, say from Europe and a club from Africa, and, and there's some sort of problem with that game, then FIFA would step in and take responsibility. But if it's a game between two European clubs from two European countries and they go to a third European country, <clears throat> there's a lot of people saying, well, it's not my responsibility because those clubs aren't from our country. They've just come in to play a game. And someone will say, oh, well, that club's from our country, but they didn't play the game in our country. They played it in another country. And so there's this, you know, really, I think UEFA's got to say, actually, you know, we need to do something about this now because there's been so many games. Obviously, this year is, is very different to normal. And, you know, but there's been so many uh, alerts with these games. And I think one thing, you know, when there are these alerts, one thing I think is important to point out is that sometimes the odds can be wrong in a game because people don't know who the two teams are, and they'll adjust the odds halfway through, and that'll create an alert. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's been a fixed match, but it'll create an alert. But it just shows that not, there's not enough known about these games, you know, whether it comes to setting the odds, taking the regulation. But really, you know, UEFA, I think, should be taking, you know, taking some kind of you know, responsibility for this. You know, they're, they're the regional confederation, I think, and it's up to them to do something, I think. So where's, what's next for the project? How far ahead are you with it and where do you... Uh, we're about halfway through now. We've been a bit hindered. We were, I was due to go to Slovenia in April and one of the investigator chap, Paul Works, he's supposed to go to Greece. Both of those have been uh, sort of cancelled, straight deferred. Um, but the report should be due out at the end of next year. <clears throat> we're interviewing a lot of players. You know, we've done some uh, survey research. So surveyed about 700 players from three different countries and their experiences of, of friendlies and fixing and approaches and stuff like that so the report should be out at the end of next year and hopefully we'll have some kind of some kind of event that people can come to if they want, want, and want to find out more about it really. yeah i'm definitely up for that if you've got a good buffet <laughs> <laughs> anyway um i'm looking forward to reading the report i'm 
and then doing another podcast, we may as well do a third one. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoy speaking to you. Uh, yeah. So thank you very much for your time, Steve. It's been it's been great having you on again. That's great, and, and good luck to the Football Collective. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Cheers, Josh. Thank you.